Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. All right, Solar Warriors, welcome back to another Tactical Tuesday. These are conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice to build your career and solar business and grow with us here on Suncast. I know that you join us for our thoughtful, long-form Thursday interviews with industry executives on the front lines of the clean energy revolution. Today, we're going to dig in on a topic that I think is super important. And our expert guides are three women whom I admire deeply and who themselves are real who's who and leaders in the solar industry. We're going to talk about something that you've probably heard me talk about from LinkedIn and other social media platforms that I think is super critical for us to think about. And that is where are we spending our time in an industry where We have so many events that we can go to. And one event last year in 2022, I said as a non sort of core solar event stood out to me as like the event that people should be at and that I didn't see many of my peers. Yeah, everybody's going to go to RE Plus, you know, formerly SPI. Of course, that's the number one show in our industry. But where else should you be spending your time? And how are we actually thinking about the bridge between Energy 1.0, or what the energy industry refers to as the energy industry that is not the transition. And where is that conversation happening? No place is it happening more frequently and with such fervor and such a broad mix of the energy sector, Energy 1.0, fossil fuels, than what is known as CERA Week. C-E-R-A, not S-A-R-A. C-E-R-A, CERA Week, put on by S&P Global, happens once a year in March in Houston. It's the annual energy conference organized by S&P that brings together the world's economic, geopolitical, energy policy, energy climate, and CEO leaders to talk about where we're headed. And what's interesting about this year was not only the increased visibility that we saw in Houston three weeks ago when we were all hanging out there for this year's Sarah Week, but the focus on energy transition. And we're going to talk a a bit today about the language that surrounds this conversation of energy transition, how the broader energy sector is thinking about solar, wind, clean energy, this, this energy transition dialogue, what vernacular is being used, and and talking about why we think you should be there next year. I'm super glad that you've decided to join us here and level up your game, Solar Warriors. Remember, you can find all the resources that we talk about, learn more about today's guests and our recommendations in the show notes at mysuncast.com. But now let's get down to business and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we dive into another practical, tactical conversation on Suncast. As I mentioned, I am joined by three women who truly inspire me and who have been so critical in the in the growth of our sector in uh, in fundamental and specific ways. I'm going to ask them to quickly introduce themselves. And by the way, I've got them sort of circling the screen here. We're going to go in that order where it's Megan Nutting, Abby Hopper, and Claire Broido-Johnson. So what I want you to do is give a quick intro of yourself, who you are, where you work, what you do, and why you think that every CEO of a clean energy company should join us in Houston next year for Sarah Week. Let's start with you, Megan. Perfect. 
thanks for having me on, Nico. My name is Megan Nutting, and I'm the Executive Vice President of Government and Regulatory Affairs at Sonova Energy Corporation. We are a Houston-based residential solar and storage service provider and energy as a service provider. Um, it's fascinating being a solar provider in the middle of the energy capital of the country, in the middle of Houston. And I think that that has helped propel our interest and our support of Sierra Week. So we are in our third year of sponsorship, I think in our fifth or sixth year of attendance at Sierra Week. We get so much out of it. I get a ton out of it. Everyone who's anyone in the energy industry is there. All of the former energy secretaries, the current energy secretaries, Sonova CEO John Berger had breakfast with Senators Manchin and Murkowski one morning. He spoke on a panel with um, leaders in residential solar from China, France, and Saudi Arabia. And so the perspective you get is not just from a couple of states in the U.S. It is a global perspective on energy where you can meet people working on the same issues that you are working on in your own country, share ideas with them. And increasingly, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, there's an increased focus on the energy transition, on clean, low carbon or clean energy fuels. And that part has been fascinating and fun to see over time. And also I'll remind everyone that the episode we did last year, post Sarah Week, was a replay of the interview I did on site in the Sonova meeting lounge as a partner sponsor at Sarah Week. Super grateful for Sonova actually being one of the companies that brought to my attention that I should be in Houston and covering this event and and, and figuring out how this is uh, the place for us to make an impact and be seen. Next, I would love to, I think she needs no introduction, but I'll give you a chance to talk more about what, uh, what your organization is. But Abby Hopper, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Hi, Solar Warriors. It's good to see you. Good to hear you. Nico, thank you for inviting me as well. So I have the privilege of being the president and CEO of SIA, the Solar Energy Industries Association. We're the National Trade Association for the Solar and Storage Industry. You're lobbyists and advocates in Washington and around the country. Uh, I too was at Sierra Week in Houston a couple of weeks ago. It was my first time. So Megan's um, Megan is an experienced Sierra Week adventurer. I was a I'm not going to say the word that comes to mind. I was a first timer. Um, <laughs> um, and I had the chance to speak on a really fascinating panel about manufacturing in the United States, um, but with a number of different, I, I will echo Megan's emphasis on the international flavor of Sierra and how radically different that is than a lot of the other events that we attend. Um, so my panel also had um, companies from a, a number of different countries you know, I think we should all be at Sierra. And, uh, you know, as a co-owner of RE Plus, consider that, right? Like, yeah. I, I need you to keep coming to RE Plus because that money goes back to help fuel <laughs> the advocacy for our industry. Um, but I think Sierra Week is a really important place for us to show up. We talk a lot about sort of the maturation of our industry, the sort of taking the space, right, growing from 3% to 30% in the next seven years now. It's not going to happen if we just sit around and talk to each other, right? It's going to happen when we take market share, change technology, change business models, influence um, policymakers. And so Sierra Week is a really different audience, a really different scope and a really different sort of venue to have those conversations. So that's why I went this year and um, I certainly will plan to go back next year. You guys were in force too. I, was, I, I had known that you were coming, but didn't know that you were bringing your team and I saw Dan Witten walking around and you guys were, I can imagine not only recruiting ideas, but recruiting people who we want to see, like we really do need to build a bridge, like Secretary Granham said, to between these decidedly different but connected 
industries who need each other. Like that's the, I think that's one of the takeaways we'll talk about. But before we go uh, uh, into our takeaways, we have one more esteemed guest. Uh, Claire, would you please introduce yourself and welcome. Thanks, Nico, for having me. Hi, Suncast family. Um, my name is Claire Broido Johnson. I am the COO of Fermata Energy. Um, our V to X, which is vehicle to everything technology, turns electric vehicles into energy storage assets that combat climate change, increase resilience, and dramatically lower the cost of EV ownership and energy transition. And I've been in the energy industry forever, founded Sun Edison back in 03 been going to Sierra Weeks for years. The um, Agora part of Sierra Week only started in 2017, which is focused on emerging technologies. And frankly, it's been a lot more fun since since that started in 2017. Um, I spoke on two different uh, events at Sierra Week this week. One was about V2G's value for grid resilience, which was great. And um, one of our investors at Fermata Energy, I squared, had that pod and had a bunch of their um, uh, the companies that they've invested in speak at that pod. And then I also spoke with Megan about how to be, how V to X and VPPs or virtual power plants could modernize the grid and optimize renewable energy. And it's just, a, it's a, it's a good conference. It's good to go to Houston. It's good to talk to these oil and gas folks. It's good for them to see that we are becoming grown up companies that were public companies like Sonova and that they should be paying more attention to us. And it's like, it's, it's interesting because there's like a physical bridge you have to cross to get mm -hmm. from the oil and gas fossil fuel guys to the Agora wheat guys. And it's, yeah. you know, and historically it's been all guys. So it's, it's a delight to be on this call with three, you know, the three of us uh, females, and there are more and more women coming, lots of Europeans coming, lots of people from all over the world. And it's really I think I think it's a really helpful conference to to mix academics, policy people, startup people, investors, oil and gas people all together um, in a way that I don't see at other conferences. So I'll be going again. Thank you. That was awesome. And as I said to uh, the ladies before we kick this off, if uh, if there is such a thing uh, as and maybe I'm going to inaugural create this, uh, I would love for you all to hear and experience this if you're watching on YouTube as sort of the view for, for solar, our hot take on Sarah week. Uh, many of you should already be thinking about like, what's my budget? Who, who am I sending after just the last uh, 10 minutes of introduction? Uh, it, it really is that important. I think that um, I, I know that <clears throat> I had several companies come up to me and say, I'm here because last year you convinced our marketing person that this is where they needed to be. And if like, I'm happy to be that evangelist because I really think it's that important. S&P Global ought to be paying me to go. They give me a free ticket, which is enough. I love that. But I am such an evangelist for the importance of building a bridge. I think one of the fundamental things that I want to say to every CEO in the energy business, but especially in the clean energy sector where there has been such divisiveness um, of like fossil fuels, them, it's bad. Like there's no us versus them. It's only us. With that in mind, I'd love to get a sense from... so. Claire, you just mentioned some of the things that I want to drill down on in the very beginning. When I first got there, I didn't know what to expect the first year. And there are different setups. I mean, this is a really hyper, I've never been to a conference that was this hyper professional. Uh, I've never been to any of the big um, sort of international um, global conferences. Let's just, let's describe this as it's decidedly not a trade show. That was the first thing I was like walking around looking for the expo hall and how would you describe to your team when you came back or to your friends, like what to expect out of Sarah Week? 
and how it's different. Like it's it's split up into the executive forum, the Agora, the Lyceum. Uh, can I talk through the different tracks and the pods and how you all experienced those yourself, either from presenting and from listening in? Sure. So there's pods that are like these open air almost spaces with uh, a lot of glass windows. And there's only a couple chairs, which is mm-hmm. very, very sneaky because it always looks like it's standing room only because there's <laughs> only a few places to sit. But it's nice because you can, those pods are very like fluid. People walk in and walk out. It's not complicated. And that's really nice. The lyceums are more like a group of people talking at another group of people, like different typical conference format. And then there's the big speakers, you know, um, really important speakers that are very well curated and videotaped and all of that. Um, and there's different levels for each thing, right? And then yeah. you can either be uh, get a membership with Agora or you can get a membership for all of Sierra Week. Um, and I mean, there's just, there's a lot of room for fluidity and for mm-hmm. connecting and communicating with other people. So, I mean, there's 7 million conferences everywhere all the time. I think it really boils down to the people um, yeah. more than anything else. I remember speaking at an Agorapod last year and I, I'd never, it, it had been COVID. So, you know, we, I had done things remotely. I had recorded my speaking things remotely prior to that. Uh, but I showed up at this pod and there were, you know, two rows of seven chairs. And I thought no one's going to be here because they let me talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. So, so I wrote my own presentation and it was about how distributed solar can help make the grid and demand side management can help make the grid stronger and help manage variable resources like utility scale, wind and solar and, and help us transition to clean energy. And I thought no one is going to want to hear me talk about that, especially at this oil and gas conference. This isn't this isn't my world. There's 14 seats. You'll know, be lucky to fill that. And once the talk started, those seats were filled and it was standing room only within the pod and then outside of it where they have speakers and they project so people can hear you talking. And that's when I realized that there was definitely some interest at Sierra Week in clean energy and a clean energy transition and options other than oil and gas. And it was it was so exciting to be part of that pod and part of that conversation and to see everyone else's fascination with this with this subject and, and, and their interest in pursuing and learning more about it. I would say that, that one of the other things that really stood out for me, in addition to no trade floor, which is obviously different, um, was the press that was there, right? I do a lot of press, I'm sure, like Megan and Claire as well, but I have to do a lot of press in this gig. And so the reporters that were there are different than some of the reporters yeah. I normally spend time with. And that was pretty exciting also, right? So the the coverage and the visibility and sort of having our message in different kinds of spaces was exciting. Other thing that really um, naively surprised me was how many people I knew, like not to sound <laughs> like self-important or anything, but like people from my offshore wind days, right? So, cause yeah. there's so much interplay yeah. between offshore wind and oil and gas developments sort of the infrastructure and the kind of the permitting and some of those, um, those things. So my offshore wind friends were there, right? And then some of the people from my interior days, obviously the Department of Interior. And so what I took away from that was, was sort of what you were saying, Nico, like we are, like we are all one energy industry, right? And so um, recognizing that those professional relationships that Megan has developed and Claire has developed and I have developed are, as people evolve in their careers, right, that that we are knowing more people and our networks are building out over. So it's not so it's not so easy to say, oh, you know, these are my solar friends or these are my storage friends. Like these are my energy relationships as a professional <laughs> development tool that I have um, grown. And that was 
an unexpected and pretty awesome um, awareness that I had at that event. I thought that uh, I, I want to riff on for a second the level of press. Mm. I was able to go for free because I can get a press pass. Thank you, S&P Global, for that. It's highly valuable for our industry and it's working. It's helping get them uh, exposure and coverage, but they hardly need it. Uh, the I've never been to an event, including Abby and I, I made this call out to the to the, the SETS RE Plus team. Like the way that Sarah caters to the press is simply impressive. As someone who has like tried to figure out like, how do we get the press back into the center of the conversation? The press room is right in the sort of the main area. There are two separate rooms with closed circuit feeds and molt boxes. And like, it's very easy for the press to both experience how the conference is going on multiple TVs and to get like, there were so, I was inundated with invitations to meet people and with uh, lists of people to reach out to. It really did cater to the press to bring attention, not just to the event, but to the industry. And I met, um, so two interesting things for me to take away was like, I've personally met with in the press room, folks from Reuters and Axios and Financial Times that I never would have met with just candidly, like walking through a solar show um, or even randomly, I'd have to be very intentional about it. Um, so that was hugely worth it for me. But then traditional media outlets in traditional industry or energy sector that I didn't even know about, like Heart Energy, which is a gigantic player in traditional fossil fuels that I had no clue about. And as you start digging down and researching these companies, you realize like, wow, if we want to make an impact, if we want to make a difference, if you as a, as a PR or media person or marketing agency want to help your clients get exposure, like you need to be there and you need to have your marketing team there to meet with hard energy. Like we have to reach across the aisle in that direction as well. Not just trying to get in Forbes and fortune and all of what we consider to be mainstream media, but like, what about the media that is trying to teach the oil and gas industry, what it looks like to have an energy transition at all? Cause they're not reading utility dive right? They're not reading PV magazine. They could give a shit. Like truly, they didn't even realize, like I didn't realize hard energy. Like I'd ask people, I'd say, have you ever read Solar Power World? They're like, no. Have you read PV magazine? They're like, what is that? Right? So like, we just need to genuinely accept that, that, that this is an opportunity for folks to really uh, expand horizons. And it's where smart marketing and, and, uh, and C-suite executives are going to find themselves next year in Houston. And it's going to expand your visibility because, oh, by the way, if you didn't realize like the number of companies that have acquired uh, minority and, uh, and majority positions in solar companies out of the oil and gas, gas sector is far larger than many of us want to uh, probably even want to admit in the last 18 months. And that's not going to slow down. So we got to figure out how to get in front of these people. The second thing that I wanted to uh, ask you a question about is like, okay, th they could have this thing anywhere. Uh, Houston likes to bill itself as the heart of the energy landscape, right? Like energy, uh, energy 1.0 at least is like, this is the heartbeat of energy. Why Houston? You know, Seraphim as an example, just made an announcement that they have a manufacturing plant coming up in Houston. Um, so many companies I talked to from the Greater Houston Partnership and, um, and Jane Stricker and like, and um, uh, Greentown Labs are moving there and a, and a, and a, like attracting folks there. But, you know, Abby, you speak to folks all across the energy landscape from, uh, from, you know, Tennessee and the South and the deep Southeast, South Carolina, where I'm from, uh, all the way out to California. Why is Houston still the center of this narrative and will it continue to be? 
Okay, can I can I pass that to Megan first? Megan's the hometown oh, sure. Houstonian. I know you don't live there, but your company is there. So yeah. you take the first crack, friend. I am I'm definitely I'd like to consider myself an honorary Houstonian, although I myself am based in Denver. Um, but I've been going to Houston now for almost a decade, um, and and nearly every month. Um, and Sonova was obviously founded in Houston and and is based there. Our headquarters is there. Abby and Nico both got a chance to visit our headquarters and our operations center. Um, so you see, we, we've taken over most of the building that, that we are in. Mm-hmm. Our CEO, John Berger, is a firm believer that Houston is the energy capital of the world. And if he's going to start an energy company, regardless of what kind, of course, it needs to be based in the middle of the energy world, which um, which for most of us, most of most people in the energy world outside of renewables is actually Houston. Um, and it's it's always been interesting. It's been an interesting reminder for me every time I go there that it is such an energy focused city and energy focused state as well. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of my colleagues come from the oil and gas industry. I think a couple were just profiled in The New York Times recently. Um, and so they a lot of, a lot of them come from the the REPs, the retail energy providers in Texas. And so energy is such a fundamental sort of part of a Texan's world that it's it's fascinating to be a, a renewable energy company or a clean energy company there. And so I I completely understand why Sierra Week is is held there every year because that so many headquarters are there, so many people have to travel there anyway, and um, and it's it's truly sort of a global hub for energy. It turns out. Yeah. The other thing I'll add real quick is I started my energy career at Enron back in the late mm-hmm. 90s and worked with John Berger. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, it was a great learning experience, helped them finance their first wind turbines um, back in the late 90s. But it was, you know, it the thing that's really interesting is we in the in startup Landia really think of Silicon mm-hmm. Valley and Boston as the place where everything happens um, and, you know, where all the conferences are and things like that. But Europeans, international people always think about Houston. And there were, you know, we got interviewed by Le Monde when we were there and S&P and all sorts of, you know, other international outlets that still consider Houston to be the center. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm quite as bullish as John is about Houston, but I will say Greentown Labs has has a, a big space there now. And there's certainly lots of startup activity happening and lots of, you know, push for diversity, equity and inclusion at the oil and gas, you know, big Fortune 500s that exist there now. So I think you know, the stodgy old fashioned like 80s, 90s, how, you know, Houston worked before is definitely changing. And so it makes perfect sense. I mean, Sierra Week's been around for decades, so made sense to be around back then. And I, I hope and think that this means that like, you know, the axis of the universe of all things startup and climate tech isn't only in Boston and Silicon Valley going forward. Although ironically, I think Sierra stands for Cambridge, Cambridge Energy, Energy Resource, Research, yeah. Research Analytics. So Cambridge is still... It's still part yeah. of it. I love that you still snuck there. that in there because you stole one of my you stole my question for the end. I was curious if you have to think of an extra one. That's still I'll come up with another one. I was totally curious if anybody knew what Sarah stands for because a lot of people ask. And um the you know, Megan just gave it gave it away. It's Cambridge Energy Research Institute, which was founded by Dan Jurgen. Dan Jurgen. And if you were sitting here scratching your head going, Who the F is Dan Jurgen? It's yet another reason why you yeah. need to go. So like let's yeah. put it this way. Dan Jurgen is who I uh, sort of as a as a stage personality aspire to be in 10, 15, 20 years. Like I watched him. He is a force of nature. He's like the Tony Robbins of the energy sector mm-hmm. from, from a power perspective. The guy literally sat on stage every day for three days and did 
one-on-one interviews with in, like powerful industry leaders, right? Um, so I, I don't want to um, puff Dan up too much, but Dan Jurgen is a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And, and this is really his brainchild, him and, and the other founders of Cambridge Energy Research Associates. And Sarah stands for that. So that's a legacy. It now is owned by S&P, which bought uh, IHS Market, which bought his company back in 2004. So Fun facts for why else you should go and uh, also value that you get from listening to all of us uh, talking heads here on the on the call today. So uh, I, I just want to add one thing about Houston as we're talking about yeah. Houston. Um, so the job I had before this, obviously, I was deeply engaged with the oil and gas industry. So that's when I first yeah. started going to Houston. Um, mm-hmm. I went like Megan, maybe, no, maybe not every month, but every other month or so. Um, to meet with the oil and gas majors and and the and the independent producers, and so it and we do a RE Plus Texas. Um, usually, mm-hmm. last few years it's been in Austin. It'll be exactly. in Austin this it's year. Gonna next, it's going to be next week at the time we air this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be next week. So if you're in Austin, come visit with me. <laughs> come but, hang. Um, yeah, come hang. We'll be there. But it's very. Uh, it makes perfect sense to me why not only why Sierra Week's in Houston for all the reasons that my friend said, but why we should be in Houston, right? For mm-hmm. for the reasons that John, um, John Berger, you know, had, the, has the vision and, you know, EDPR is, was literally like, I borrowed their conference room a couple of times or right across the park from the conference center where this was, there's other companies that have a pretty significant presence in Houston. So, um, I think we should welcome a transition to, to the energy capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, if we are the energy future we're the energy now and the energy future 30 percent uh in the next seven years like of course we're going to be in houston hey i know you are a savvy listener heck you're listening to suncast and you've probably as a result heard of a little company called SunGrow. if you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects i would love to better understand why they are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Hexsolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Hey, can I borrow your attention for just one minute? How many of you in the residential solar install game right now would really say that your workflow is built to win? You know, in the 2010s, solar was all about sales. I think that the winners of the 2020s is really going to be contractors that focus on operational efficiency. See, margins are getting squeezed and there's a ton of competition out there, but everyone has an opportunity to improve. Would you like to know the score? of the value of your survey and design process? Would you like to hear about the evolution of the installer workflow? Well, then I would encourage you to join myself and my friend Jason Steinberg from Scanifly next Wednesday, the 31st of May at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Or maybe it's this Wednesday, or maybe you already missed it and you need to go see the replay at any point. You are going to benefit from 
the insights that we're going to reveal, the benefits of a tech-driven solar ops program, the transition from manual to digital surveys. It's all there. I hope that you will check in, tune in, register, and uh, throw us some hard questions. We always love it in our live broadcasts. Join us May 31st, 2 p.m. with Scanifly. See you there. So a lot of folks who have uh, you know hung out here with us for 25 minutes are asking themselves, okay, that's fun. Great. I'll go next week. So next year, so what? Um, there's two things that really stand out in my mind that I need you all to answer for me. What the hell did you take away that your companies are going to use it for? And how the heck, how much, how much does this cost? Because Nico told me it wasn't cheap. <laughs> Claire, what'd you take away? What'd you come away with? Because I saw you trading lots of business cards. I know yeah. you were out there wheeling and dealing. This is your, <laughs> As your first we do, radio. yeah. No, I mean, I think virtual power plants are a big part of the conversation today, right? We yeah. need gigawatts of dispatchable mm-hmm. capacity. And there are a lot of utilities trying to figure out what that means for them and how they're going to make money on that. And there's going to have to, have to be some regulatory policy changes. And there were a lot of regulatory people there as well. And I think a lot of them are shaking in their boots saying, oh, my gosh, there's more electric vehicles coming online and more demand for electricity. How on earth are we going to meet that? And yeah. we're used to rate basing and building our own power plants. What is this virtual power plant thing and how are we going to move forward? Um and I mean, this can be the solution, not the problem. So obviously, like mm-hmm. I'm, you know, on my own little, you know, stump speech right now. But, you know, V to G, vehicle to grid, vehicle to everything, you've got an electric vehicle that is acting as a battery storage on wheels. So not mm-hmm. only can it charge from the grid, but discharge to the grid. So that's got to be one of the solutions, you know, talking with Megan, like solar plus stationary storage plus V to G is going to be part of the residential solution. It's going to have to be, right? So I mm-hmm. think- you know, the way that utilities have thought historically is very, very, very slowly changing. <laughs> and, you know, and their incentive structures are very different from what we as a public need today in order to decarbonize and electrify the grid. And so, you know, the solutions are going to have to come from startups and utilities and regulatory affairs, public utility commissioners, all of it, in order to get solves that you know, save our, solve our climate change problems more quickly. So Sonova, we've, we've sponsored, this is our third year of sponsorship. Um, the three years of sponsorship cost about $275,000. So it, you're right, Nico, it is not cheap. Um, the, the, the companies we are playing with in this space are well capitalized and well funded, but that's part of the reason to engage here. <clears throat> because of our sponsorships, I think we get to speak, Sonova representatives get to speak at maybe six six or seven different events. So I spoke with Claire about vehicle to grid. I also spoke um, at an Agora studio, which is this highly produced, you know, on a stage, standing room only with an overflow room, I found out later, um, Mm -hmm. on the IRA accelerating net zero in the US. So talking about the Inflation Reduction Act and how that, how that, you know, will, will affect um, what someone called our, you know, our clean energy arms race with Europe and the rest of the world. Um, It was a fascinating conversation. But what I realized is we need to make sure that people from our world are there having these conversations and leading, you know, leading, um, leading conversations about all of this, because the companies that are attending and paying attention are well capitalized and have a lot of money. And so if anyone's going to educate them, it should be the experts from our industry rather than them, you know, trying to learn about this from people who don't necessarily know about the clean energy transition or about batteries or about the potential yeah. of EPPs. 
we need to go there and teach them about this because they have a lot of money to invest and they're trying to figure out where to do that. And if we want to accelerate this energy transition and essentially save humanity, um, as you know, as we saw in the recent IC, ICCC report that came out yesterday, we need to make sure that the people with the money know where to spend it. And that to me is the number one value in Zero Week. We all need to be there educating um, all the energy companies we possibly can nationally and internationally, because I had great conversations with people from Saudi Arabia, Japan, Pakistan, France, other countries. I learned a lot about what they're doing. We're now in touch. We want to share best practices. Um, so, so the value in, in teaching people with money on how this energy transition should work and then sharing best practices with other countries is, I think the value is immeasurable. So I will add my voice to what Megan and Claire said. I agree wholeheartedly with both of them. Um, I had the opportunity to watch their panel. So it was Megan and Claire and someone from DOE and it was an Rima Wade. Uh-huh. Yes. Thank you. I forgot her name, but it was an all woman panel, which I think was the only one I saw. <laughs> Definitely the only one I saw at Sierra week. Uh, perhaps there were others, but it was a pretty unique situation worthy of a photo, which of course we took. So I got invited to speak. So I didn't have to pay uh, for a ticket which I highly recommend as a, as a <laughs> technique, <laughs> um, but it is expensive. So Dan, my comms guy, uh, we didn't buy a ticket for him to see the whole full package because it was too expensive. Uh, but we were, but we, we got the Agora one. So he had a little bit more um, ability to navigate. The other thing I would say, I was, you know, we, we talked about sort of the language people are using and there was a lot of talk about the energy transition, right? Um, on the transition to a low carbon or no carbon future. But the reason why we need to be there is because I am unwilling to seed ground on what that low carbon or no carbon future looks like. If we are not in the rooms, the low carbon to no carbon future looks like carbon sequestration and carbon yeah. capture and sort of other technologies that large oil and gas majors um, fits squarely in their business model, mostly American. I think the Europeans have a little bit different view, but American majors and independents think of as sort of their core business and how do they navigate within that core business. And that's okay. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But it's not the whole solution set. And so uh, if it is incredibly exciting that there is a, a, a lively international conversation and, and capital allocation to energy transition but if we are not there, it is going to be a very narrow view of what that transition looks like. And so having the experts on V2G, having the experts on virtual power plants, having the experts on offshore wind, having the experts on solar and storage, like we have to be in the room so we can be part of that discussion. And it takes time. It takes time. We need, we need you and your marketing team and comms teams working on like what is our messaging going in and trying, like Abby pointed out, to get a speaking position mm -hmm. that, you know, what, what's to, there were so they have, they have the entire energy spectrum, um, mentioned that mansion had breakfast with John, the coal industry is well represented at this conference. And they're saying nothing similar to what we're saying in our industry. Like they are very much have their talking points about why coal's not going away right. and why we still need to rely on coal. And I thought, I think it's really, it's really interesting. I've never in my life been in a place where there was such a dichotomy of opinion and position. And the ability to navigate that that conversation, there were a, a bunch of side events hosted by, you know, not like like, we, like you would expect. There were a bunch of side events and dinners and like Houston Real, the Renewable Energy Alliance hosted a breakfast, which Jigger spoke at. 
with um, a guy from uh, Haddington that has the largest salt cavern energy storage project that the DOE is backing, right? Like the breadth of exposure to what's happening is, in my opinion, unparalleled. But to your point, Abby, it's um, there's a narrative that's happening that they're going to default to that has to do with like, what do you do with people who spent their entire life drilling and and figuring out how, how to do subsurface technology, they're going to leverage all of that transferable skill into subsurface technology and offshore technology. They're not looking at how to transfer that to, you know, harnessing the wind and the sun in the ways that we all are. And a bit the geothermal is a big thing. Um, I'd like to hear in the remaining minutes that we have, we saw this year, a clean energy commons, which was fantastic. Like they set up a whole section and they called it clean energy. That was like anathema three, five years ago, but they had a clean energy commons. The DOE had a massive presence there. Um, if you, uh, what do you expect to be the core narrative or what narrative can we begin now to drive that next year at Sarah week, when we do a takeaway, we're going to go, we did it. Like this is the conversation we said a year ago, we wanted to see happen at Sarah week that changed the narrative from subsurface drilling and all and storage, et cetera. And, and moved it, uh, you know, sort of departed away from, there was a lot of hydrogen and energy storage conversations there, but like, what is the narrative that we expect to project and to and to see and that we can show up and expect next year at Sarah Week because we've done our job over the next eight to 10 months of, of helping to create and weave the narrative and we get enough people to show up to infuse it. So I think one thing that's really telling in, uh, is that in the Sarah Week side, not the Agora Week side, mm-hmm. Sultan Ahmed Al-Jaber, who's the cabinet member and minister of industry and advanced technologies of the United Arab Emirates, apparently said, I actually wasn't able to get in because I was on the Agora side, but he apparently said in the big talk, Houston, we have a problem. We need a major course, I'm sorry, we need a major course correction and and failure is not an option. Mm. And interestingly, he's the COP28 president designate. So Mm. he's going to be running COP28 coming from UAE, having, as you say, drilled his whole life. And Mm -hmm. so, and you're seeing Chevron and Shell and everyone else trying to create solutions, right? And Siemens has a a VC arm and Schneider has a VC arm whom I met with at Sierra Week. So all of these big Fortune 500 companies are realizing, wow, this isn't going to go away with marketing. (laughs) Um, And, you know, they have known that for years, but like really very clearly they're making huge statements at places like Sierra Week. And so the more that we, you know, gritty startups can do to provide solutions for these big companies, I think the better for us all. I think I, again, I totally agree. And um, I think every time we're having a conversation about decarbonization and, and carbon free future, that there is a conversation about the technologies we already have that work that are not, mm-hmm based on extraction, right? Um, I think that would be a huge success. I think rather than have, having more of us in the, the, on the main stage and in the main areas um, where I was uh, privileged enough to get to speak on that side of the house, the, the, literally on the bridge, I was on the other side of the bridge. Um, <laughs> and I think just sort of normalize, like normalizing it, like having more of us there and more of our own. We did, I did go to an event in the clean energy commons and there was, I, I, my, my alma mater had an event at the same time that the future energy leaders or whatever, the under 40 group of people that Sierra, it's another great thing they do, um, identify mm-hmm. people earlier in their careers and sort of walk them through the Sierra Week experience. 
you know, but they had their, their reception and the clean energy comments, which I thought was so fascinating. Right. So like, there's even this dissonance amongst the organizers, like understanding that this is the future. And I think capitalizing on that is another um, area of what successful look like. People will keep doing what they know, as I think, as you all have mentioned, carbon capture, hydrogen is, is very mm -hmm. similar to, to oil and gas. Mm -hmm. They'll keep, they'll, they'll push this transition forward in the way they understand best, unless we give them other better ideas, which I know everyone in our industry has. Um, I took a photo of one uh, conversation I saw happening. It was the role of hydrocarbons in getting to net zero. And I tweeted that sort of with a like skeptical face. Yeah. <laughs> so that... That is the traditional approach of a lot of the players at Zero Week. How can we use hydrocarbons to get to where we are told we need to get to? Yeah. Um, so my goal, and, and every year there's a there's a, a theme at Zero Week. So last year it was batteries, this year it was hydrogen. Um, so I, you know, trying to think about what the theme would be for next year, or what it should be. I would love to see us push mm. for a con more conversations or all of the conversations about how do we move entirely away from hydrocarbons? I mean, I know we had our clean our clean energy hub this time, and that shocked me when I walked into that. We didn't have that in previous years. Um, but how can we make that hub now be the entire conference? How can our side of uh, our, our side of the bridge take over this conference and take over the conversations and really lead and educate um, and make sure the investments are going to clean energy and and not to types of forms of energy that that don't that aren't aren't compatible with our existence. There's so much more that I know we could talk about and uh, our takeaways from this are, are all uh, distinct and similar. And I'm really grateful that we have a chance to, to lean in and like really think through this together. I want to take an opportunity on behalf of the Suncast community to thank you for spending time with us today, uh, sharing your uh, insights and takeaways. I look forward to not just participating in other people's events next year, gathering our tribe, gathering our community together and inviting the oil and gas in this industry into our event, our side meetings next year. Uh, that for me is the narrative that I want to see. I love this idea of, um, of what is the theme for next year, Megan. I wish I had uh, thought of that as a, as a parting question. That was really, really a smart one. Uh, I want to know in our final moments, if there's any last thoughts that, or, or call to action that you have for uh, the Suncast community and the broader clean energy tribe as we say our goodbyes and feel free in the in so doing like what's your last call to action and feel free to say uh say parting words to the community i would say first of all nico thank you again for convening us and it is not uh lost on me that it's three super fucking powerful women <laughs> uh, that i'm lucky enough to call my friends in addition to my colleagues um Right I would say like that. show up where the power is, right? Like that's that's what to me Sierra Week was about. Like the energy community and the energy industry. It's a multi-bajillion dollar industry. I don't think that's a real word. Um, but we got to show up right. where the power is. And that's where it's happening. Um, and so that's my call to action is don't be afraid to go and be a little uncomfortable and um, take our space. Yeah, I would add in addition, I feel right back at you, Abby and Megan. I feel like the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act is really an important call to action. And now's the time. And we got to use that money and we got to use it now. And we got to use it to electrify everything and find the gigawatts of distributed generation to solve our climate change problems. And doing it with all of our friends on all sides of the aisles and all, yeah. across every bridge is something that we're all going to have to do. So the more the merrier. 
I, I would encourage people to attend. We need to go to where the money and the people are. There's definitely money at Sierra Week. And, and Abby, I think C has projected that we need eight or 900,000 workers in clean energy by 2030 um, in order to meet climate goals. And so during my panel, I said, any of you in this room, if you're not in clean energy, please apply. We need you. And so let's go find people who already know energy, who we can learn from because they come from a different part of the energy sector. Mm -hmm. And let's find people, let's find money at Sierra Week. Let's educate people as to how this energy transition should happen. And then as we did on Monday night during Sierra Week with the Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable, let's take over the Petroleum Club again. Yes, that was awesome. I'm so glad you brought that up. Shout out to our friends at uh, Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable, Andrea Lukey and the community there, uh, Jigger and Jacob, the guys that put, all, put that together. That was a fantastic, we had almost 400 people on Monday night Packed. to kick things off. In fact, that's how Claire and I were finally formally introduced. And I'm so yeah. grateful for that community. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful for this community. If you're listening, you are a part of the good. You're a part of, uh, of, of what is right about our universe. And we have... I say, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The most powerful tool that you have to fight climate change is what the four of us are using right now. And that is your voice. You have to give voice to the people who you believe deserve to be heard. And if that's your CEO, then that voice should be heard from a stage at Sarah Week next year. And for many other stages and many other podcasts, not just Suncast. I've, I told Claire and, uh, and her team, like, get out there on as many podcasts as possible uh, Anna at Fermata like needs to be on more podcasts, right? Like so many smart, amazing leaders who happen to also be women need to be, their voice needs to be heard. So one of the things that I came away with from Sarah Week that I want everybody to hear is that, that we're, we are so completely undercapitalized compared to them, but you can leverage their capital, newsjack the shit out of what they're doing. Like watch <laughs> what they are saying, what they're getting yeah. picked up for and use that shit. Like be smart marketers. Use your voice, get us out in front of more people, like reach out to Axios and Financial Times. All these people that were showing up are showing up because they care about the energy sector and they have a deadline every single day. There's no reason why they aren't writing about us. So thank you, ladies, for everything that you do. Thank you, Nico. Thank you, Nico. Thanks, Nico. And we'll see you all again next time around. My, my goodness, that was so much fun. I just want to say thank you again to my friends, Megan. Abby and Claire, thank you, my friend, for listening in. You're giving us the one thing that you can't get back. That's your time. Now go forth. Use it wisely. You've been informed and educated. There's now no excuse for misdirection. You've been told <laughs> ways that you can improve not only your career, but your business, how you can message and market better and how you can show up in places that need your voice. Hey, uh, just really quickly here as we say goodbye, it's clear to me that you're only listening to the audio and not checking out our YouTube channel because I'm directing this just to the podcast listeners. So if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, you can easily find it by searching Suncast Media in YouTube. And we've got a video or three up there of my ambling about at Sarah Week, meeting people, walking around with the CEO of Shoals Technologies Group and just takeaways from the event itself. You can see what the main area and the Agora area and the Clean Energy Commons actually physically look like. You can see what some of these houses, which is what they call the pseudo booths for Chevron and other big companies, Petrobras, physically look like and get a better sense of it. Also, just fun hot takes on kind of what's happening at the event 
from the perspective of being there on the floor. So that's over on the YouTube channel. I'd encourage you to go check it out. If you've missed any of our nearly 600 episodes in the past back catalog of Suncast, well, you can subscribe in whatever podcast player you're in. Spotify apparently is the number one player for podcast downloads in the world right now. So if you're listening on Spotify, they make it really easy. You can also rate the show so that others can find it. That's super helpful. Just it's it takes 13 seconds inside of Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Pocket Cast and all these. They make it super easy. And that helps us. And of course, what also helps us is each one of you showing up every week in your job, really accelerating the clean energy transition through what you do. And if what you do right now is not directed towards clean energy transition and you're curious about how we can help you do that beyond just the lessons that we bring you here in each and every podcast, you can go to mysuncast.com and click on the connect with us. I think it's connect with us or, or maybe it says coaching. I'm not sure. Grab a 15 minute clarity call with me. I love helping folks who are in transition themselves. You know, 15 minutes, it's free. I will try to see if I can help you get unstuck and there might be other ways that I can connect you or help you or have another uh, another phone call after that. And who knows where it will go, but I can tell you not taking action is the most certain way to, <laughs> to seal your fate. Thank you once again to the sponsors that help make this show possible. Thank you to SunGrow for being with us for an entire year as our annual premiere sponsor. And thank you to others who have come alongside us. You can learn more about them and how you also could contribute to your peers learning and get your message in their earballs uh, twice a week, every week, more than seven years in a row now at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. In the meantime, remember you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.